0: much, Jason, and thanks to you, Second Baptist, for having me. This, I think, I'm counting my third time to be with you. Uh, I've miscounted in the early service, and, uh, but I, I, I always enjoy being with you. I've known uh, your pastors going back quite a ways. I uh, bring you greetings from uh, Wilshire Baptist Church in Dallas, your sister church there. Uh, some of our churches uh, have a closer sibling relationship than others, don't you know? Uh, it, is, it is a joy to hear that story that Jason told as well. I remember it pretty well as well. Um, Jason really is uh, one of our poster children for the pastoral residency program. And, uh, and the fact that you have one now with uh, Alina and Rachel here uh, is a joy to us very much uh, at Wilshire. So let me begin my sermon with an apology. I am sorry. For those of you of a certain vintage like me, just reading my sermon title, pass it on. Probably created an earworm of that old Kurt Kaiser song, right? And conjured memories of youth camp bonfires and guitars and marshmallows and holy smoke, if not the Holy Ghost, right? It only takes a spark to get a fire going and soon all those around will warm up in its glowing, right? It was an anthem of a generation, of, uh, of evangelism and revival. But today, I want to use it a little differently to talk about an important but neglected aspect of church life that we've already been hinting at around here and that Jason asked me to preach about. And that is, how do we pass it on? Pass on the call to the next generation that will serve our churches as ministers. Now, no one disputes that the church needs preachers to proclaim the good news, as well as other dedicated vocational ministers who do the work of music and education and missions ministries in our congregations. But there is, I have to tell you, a growing crisis among us that we must attend to. I'm gonna warn you that I have some gloomy things to say to you today about the state of the ministry. But before I do that, I really want to say a few good words. I want to tell you what a really rewarding life this is, ministry. I, I have recently retired as senior pastor after all these years, as Alina had said, uh, in this particular church and in others as well, but I've never really retired from ministry nor will, and look at me standing here still. My life is immeasurably richer because I answered this call to do this work. And I can tell you that having reared my children in a faithful and courageous church that is very much like yours, I know that I have received more from the ministry than I have given. My three adult children and seven grandchildren love the church and are still active in it. And I couldn't be more grateful. In fact, my two daughters both have seminary degrees. So as Paul says in so many words in our text today, the ministry isn't an easy life, but it's a good life. And who would trade good for easy? right? I mean, yes, there's suffering involved in this, but there is in all of our lives and all of our work. But we get invited into some of the biggest and holiest moments of people's lives. I mean, ministers, at births and baptisms, right? At marriages and memorials and everything in between. People look to us to make sense of things to help them see the invisible in the visible, to point to hope and help when life is unbearable. What a thing this is, ministry. Now, not everyone knows this or would believe it, and the truth is our profession faces many headwinds today. The fastest-growing demographic in America today is what's called the nuns, n-o-n-e-s that is none of the above people fully now 30 percent of the american population that does not see the point of or the need for participation in organized religion of any kind now add to that the aging of church leaders yeah that's me too sixteen percent only of all pastors in america are under forty years old and in the last thirty years the median age of pastors has moved from forty five to fifty four the looming retirement of baby boomer pastors and the lack of younger ones to take their place adds to the crisis seminaries are closing at a record rate and all of them are desperately trying to find students to keep their doors open. Most pastors understand this and are struggling in ministry. In fact, we know that more than half of them in the last three years have contemplated leaving ministry altogether, citing social and political divisions in society that have put pressure on preachers to conform to the partisanship in the pew. And then there was COVID and the fallout of in-person attendance. It's one thing after another, and I tell you, it's exhausting. Most pastors know all this and experience it. They also know that they need to address this crisis of the next generation, but they will tell you they just don't have energy for it. It just doesn't get up the list of priorities from day to day. And this, I tell you, is not just on clergy. Lay people once were great partners in this work, but today we are seeing that American Christians have bought into this idea of salvation being such a personal, individual relationship between themselves and God that they don't really see the point of why the church matters in their relationship to God. But let me say this as plainly as I can. Disciples need disciples to be disciples. This is a team sport. It takes a church to make a Christian. But this isn't the first time we've gone through this in church history. When Martin Luther broke from the Catholic Church during the Protestant Reformation, one of the things he brought with him in his critique of the clergy was the priesthood of all believers right and baptists have glommed on to that and taken it as our own baptists cheer that development we even claim that it was ours we really borrowed it right but it's the understanding that all of us are called to the ministry in our baptism some do church work like pastors and other vocational ministers and others do the work of the church in the world by being doctors and lawyers and chiefs fans in luther's day Like in our own, people have become satisfied with their own spiritual safety because they believe they can have a direct relationship to God without the need for the clergy and the church to dispense salvation to them. So then, they stopped being so concerned about the welfare of the church and its leadership. And they quit sending their kids to school to learn and they weren't encouraging them to go into the ministry. There was a tradition back then, in fact, that every family should give one of their children to the priesthood. Well, Luther became so exercised about this that one Sunday he rose and said these words to his congregation. Buckle up. God has not given you children and the means to support them only that you may do with them as you please or train them for worldly glory. You have been earnestly commanded to raise them for God's service or be completely rooted out with your children and everything else. Then everything that you have spent on them will be lost. But how will you raise them for God's service? If the office of preaching and the spiritual estate of the church have gone down and it is your fault you could have done something for it and helped to maintain it if you had allowed your child to study if you can do it and your child has the ability or the desire and you do not do it but stand in the way listen to this you are guilty of the harm that is done if the church goes down and neither God nor God's word remains in the world and as far as you are able you are letting it go down You will not give one child to it, and you would do the same thing about all your children if you had a world full of them. Thus, as far as you are concerned, the service of God simply goes to destruction. Now, if you think that was harsh, imagine hearing it in German. Luther must have gotten some texts and emails after that sermon, don't you know? He didn't mince words. So this is a danger in every generation. The church may be the people, but the church needs people within it to be good stewards of this treasure and help pass it on. Our text today comes from what we call the pastoral epistles. That is, 1 and 2 Timothy and Titus, again the word, pastoral. The missionary, Paul, had left his young protege in charge of the church in Ephesus. And in the next chapter of 2 Timothy, he charges him, Timothy, who was like a son to him in ministry, to entrust the gospel to faithful people who would be able to teach others. Pass it on. That is, preachers and teachers... Vocational pastors and ministers of all kinds because Paul knew that if the church was to survive beyond his own lifetime and thrive, it would not just be because the risen Christ through the power of the Spirit would be in the church, but also because a new generation of spiritual leaders would guide it through the tough times ahead. Tough times like our times. Now, if you hadn't noticed, the church in America is in spiritual trouble. The evangelical sector of it, at least, which seems to be the only part of it that the media cares about, has taken the side of resistance to racial justice instead of leading the fight for it. It has discriminated against women in church leadership, instead of celebrating their gifts in the congregation and promoting them. It has bought into the idolatry of Christian nationalism to the point where it can't distinguish any longer between the cross and the flag. How did this happen? In a piece in The Atlantic titled The Evangelical Church is Breaking Apart, Peter Wehner, former evangelical conservative, lays much of the blame for all of this at pastors and their people who prefer numerical growth to spiritual growth, entertainment worship to substantive worship, and political power to spiritual power. Much of it comes down to the failure to form faith in Christians through sound teaching of the Bible that would better inoculate the church against these temptations. Now, you are fortunate here at Second to have a theologically well-trained and sound minister of the gospel, a strategic pastor who gives guidance to your church, But all that does then is put the onus squarely on you as the people. Loving churches procreate. Their love for God and each other produce children for the ministry. You have a spiritual duty to the larger church to do this work of calling and nurturing the next generation of ministers. And happily, you have not let up. So drawing on Luther and Paul both, I think we need to recommit to a few things together. First, we must be intentional about the Christian education of our children and open to the possibility that if their hearts become sensitive to this life and if they have a sense of Of call of God for themselves that we will bless that we need more Loises and Eunices in the church kindling the call of God in our kids like they did for young Timothy now parents and grandparents if this is going to happen you have to be lifelong learners you can't graduate from church You don't outgrow the need to grow in your Christian faith. You have to follow through on these promises of our baby dedications to keep these children within the precincts of the temple so that they can learn the voice of God for themselves and discern what God is calling them to. And that means coming regularly to worship and Sunday school and mission trips and and, and, and activities uh, involving being advocates for justice and raising your voice in song. The cumulative effect of the steady faithfulness of all of this will create an ecology in which children, young people, and second-career people even will hear this call and answer it. And also, it will keep the church from straying from the way of Jesus. Second, notice, name, And nurture people in ministry. This is too easily neglected. You do this by recognizing those people who just seem to be at home in the house of God, those who have an extra glint in their eye about spiritual things, those who feel the pain in their own hearts of a broken world, those who want to comfort the brokenhearted and include the marginalized. You then talk to them about what's happening in their lives and ask them whether maybe that is God's work in calling them to serve in this way. And then nurture that call by giving them opportunities to serve in ministry in the church and in internships and maybe residencies and supporting theological education, all of which you do. So some years ago, a young woman came to see me. She was in college. She'd grown up in our church. She had come from a very faithful family. And she made an appointment, and she drove to see me from college uh, deeply disturbed. She was going through a period of dark doubt about her faith and she was hanging on by her fingernails. I asked her why and she had been reading critical theory and religion and philosophy and she was struggling with her friends who had grown up in the church and for various reasons had been rejected by it and she could not reconcile these things with the faith that she grew up with. And so I listened to her and sympathized with her through this stage of faith in which doubt seemed to have been winning. And then I turned to her and I said, Anne, do you think it's possible God is calling you into the ministry? So Anne Jernberg Scalfaro went on to Harvard Divinity School. She became a resident at Wilshire Baptist Church and has for 15 years now been the pastor of the Calvary Baptist Church in Denver, Colorado she loves to talk about that visit and that question because it made her so mad here she came to talk to me about her doubts and it was as if I wasn't even listening to her she said I was just barely hanging on to faith and you wanted me to become a minister but she realized later That i was hearing the still small voice of the spirit beneath the noise she was experiencing because see god needs ministers who have grappled with doubt and can help others do the same god needs ministers who have suffered greatly and still found faith to be enough god needs ministers who will take up this adventure of the spiritual journey and share it with others bravely. No one knows what the future of the church will be. There are all kinds of creative expressions of it being born out of the chaos of this time. It is God's church, so I'm not worried about the shape of it or the size of it. But what I know is that we will need a new generation of church leaders to answer this call. And step up to the pulpit. Is that you? Is it anyone you know? It takes a church, I tell you, to pass it on.